good morning, church. Today's passage comes from Acts 5, verses 12 to 42. Before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. As your word is read out, may you open our hearts to receive them and help us to understand so that we may be equipped for every good work through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats, so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they all called together the, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there, so they went back and reported. We found the jail securely locked, with a guard standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles brought, were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him in his own right hand, to his own right hand, as prince and saviour, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honoured by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared claiming to be somebody, but about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas of Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. 
you will only find yourself fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning, church. The Lord be with you. I hope you have been encouraged so far in our study of Acts. And this morning, we come to a long passage that, has, uh, that will lead us to consider a very important issue for the church today. Uh, it is the issue of persecution for our faith. Now, for a long time, the church in the West knows about persecution only in other parts of the world. For many Christians uh, in the West, uh, we have never really experienced it personally. Yet, Scripture clearly, clearly teaches about it. Jesus himself warned his disciples to expect persecution from the world because the world first persecuted him. The Apostle Paul also tells us that those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus can expect persecution. And Christians will face many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now, we want to thank God that we in Australia have largely been spared these hardships. But Christians in many other countries have to put up with varying degrees of difficulties just to practice their faith. And in some countries, Christians live under the constant threat of death. Now, how should we then respond to this blessing of religious freedom in Australia? Well, of course, we are to be thankful to God. We are grateful to God. Uh, but we must not take our religious freedom for granted. We need to prepare ourselves for the time when persecution may come upon us. Already we notice that Western society is getting more hostile to Christianity. And in Victoria, the passing of the anti-vilification bill may land many Christians in trouble just for expressing the biblical views on marriage, sex, and gender. And this is only the beginning. And it would, I think, be a matter of time that things will get worse. And so it is wise to be ready. And today's passage will help us prepare for whatever hardships that may come upon us in Victoria. And there are three things that the passage will teach us about persecution. One is that common motivation for the world to persecute Christians is jealousy. Two, when the world prevents us from speaking out about Jesus, we must obey God rather than human beings. And the third thing that we learn from this passage 
is this. When we suffer for Jesus and for his gospel, we are to rejoice. So if you have your Bible with you, please turn to uh, Acts uh, chapter 5, verses 12 to 42, and we will look at these three points more closely. Now the first portion from verse 12 through to verse 16 uh, tells us that the apostles continued to preach the gospel daily despite the Sanhedrin's earlier ban on the teaching in the name of Jesus. And many signs and wonders are done by the apostles. And these signs and wonders are the miracles of healing and the deliverance from demonic afflictions. And news about what the apostles are doing soon spread beyond Jerusalem. And people from nearby towns start coming to hear and learn from the apostles. And they also bring their sick for healing. And some people would put their sick in the shadow of Peter's, uh, in the shadow of Peter, believing that even Peter's shadow may heal the sick. Now, this is the people's recognition of Peter's healing power, because they recognize Peter as the apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, it is just like the woman with the bleeding disorder, and when she touched the edge of Jesus' garment. And she was healed because she believed who Jesus was. Now, the miraculous power shows that the apostles have the authority of Jesus to heal in his name. And many people come to faith in Jesus. And the early church grows even more in number. And this makes the Sanhedrin very concerned. In fact, they are filled with jealousy, as verse 17 tells us. And jealousy causes the Sanhedrin to arrest the apostles and put them in jail. And so the first of the three things we learn from the passage about persecution is this. Jealousy is often a motivation for the world to persecute Christians. And when the church grows in numbers, the world will be jealous. And the world will be jealous because its values will be challenged and its lifestyle threatened. You see, Christians are salt and light in society. But the world loves darkness over light. And the world will resist <clears throat> any moral change that the light brings. So we can therefore uh, see why there is so much opposition to Christian ethics on marriage and sexuality, because the world wants to live out its own ideas on marriage and its own ideas on sex. And we can also see why there are attempts at legislations to prohibit the teaching and the practice of Christian values in our society today. Now, so in the same way the Sanhedrin wants to prohibit the teaching in the name of Jesus, you see the religious leaders are jealous that the crowd is listening to the apostles and more people are adopting the new religion, the way of Jesus. And so we can understand why the religious leaders of the day feel threatened. And because they're threatened, they 
They, they, they want to stop the apostles, and so they have them arrested and put them in jail. But in the night, while the guards are still on duty, God sends his angel to free the apostles from prison. And the angel opens the prison door and leads the apostles out, giving them this instruction in verse 20. Go, stand in the temple courts and tell the people all about the new life. So in the morning, the apostles are back in the temple and they continue preaching about the new life to the people. So let's pause for a moment and explore what this new life is all about. Of course, we know that this new life is in Christ Jesus. It comes to us when we are born again by the Holy Spirit. But why do people need this new life? Well, it is because this new life gives all people true freedom. Freedom from slavery to sin. The freedom to be who we, who we really are as God's people. You see, we have this old life in us, the old life, the natural life. And this old life in us obeys the desires of our sinful self. And we are selfish. We are proud. We are greedy. Uh, but we try to make good of our sinful lives by one or two, or one or three ways. One, we can become religious. And so we become, uh, we be obey religious laws and when we try to perform religious rituals in the hope of earning favors with God. But if we are not religious, we can try to be civil by being a good citizen. Or, we can try to be spiritual and we want to meditate on good thoughts and we want to be mindful to do good things and we want to be always at peace with nature and we want to be at peace with others. But the problem is that whether we are religious or we are spiritual, we just cannot restore, we cannot be restored to a right relationship with God. And this is because a right relationship with God begins with the forgiveness of our sins. We have sinned against God, not only because we have done the bad things we should not have done, but because we also refuse to worship the only one and true God who made all of us. And we refuse to give our Creator God the glory He deserves. And like crime, sin must be punished. We deserve the punishment. And this old life will end in our punishment. But in his incredible love for all people, God took upon himself the punishment our sins deserve. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. At the cross, our sins are therefore forgiven. But Jesus did not remain dead. He rose again on the third day. And in his resurrection, Jesus reconciled us to God. And so we now have the right relationship with God. We are born again. We have the new life, the new life in the resurrected Christ Jesus. 
And because our new life is in Christ Jesus, we derive our meaning and our purpose in this life from Christ. Christ is now our security. He is now our hope. And Christ is now our happiness. In other words, our identity is now in Christ and in Christ alone. Now this is in contrast to what the world tells us today. The world tells us to find our identity in ourselves, inside us, in ourselves. So the world says we are defined by how we are born. Now, we are all born differently, but the world says that we are all born basically good. And therefore, we must be true to ourselves. So don't let anyone tell you what you are. Be who you think you are, and you will be fulfilled, and you will be happy. Yes, you will be happy for a while, being who you think you are your happiness will last only a while because sooner or later you will feel the emptiness again and you will start to question who you really are and so you become confused. And there are many people who are confused about their identity, who they really are. And perhaps the reason that there is an increase in demand for mental health care is because too many people are confused about who they really are. And they have been living out the lie, the lie that we are basically good people when we know that deep inside us, we are not. You see, the Bible tells us that we are basically not good people. Inside us, the Bible says, our heart is deceitful. We are sinners, and therefore we need the forgiveness of our sins. We need a new heart. We need the new life. And in God's goodness, we are given this new life when we put our trust in Jesus. And with the new life, we are no longer defined by the way we are born. We are now defined by what Christ has done for us. In Christ, we are forgiven people. In Christ, we are new people made whole. And in Christ, we are deeply loved by God. So this is the message of the gospel. It is the same message of new life that the apostles were told by the angels to preach to the people in the temple. So let's get back to the passage so while the apostles are preaching in the temple, uh, the Sanhedrin comes together for a meeting to decide what to do with the apostles. And of course, they are unaware of what has happened in the night. So they send some officers to the jail uh, to bring the apostles for trial. But the officers find uh, the jail empty, even though the doors have been secured. <clears throat> and so the the officers report this strange incident back to the Sanhedrin, and the leaders are puzzled until word comes to the Sanhedrin that the apostles are in the temple. At that, the captain of the guards and his officers go to arrest the apostles. 
And finally, uh, the apostles appear before the Sanhedrin a second time. And this time, the high uh, priest, the high priest rebukes the apostles for not obeying the Sanhedrin's ban. He says these words in verse 28. We we gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Now the high priest and the religious leaders know that the teaching about the gospel is a constant reminder that they are the ones who have put Jesus to death. And so to cover their guilt, they are determined to do whatever it takes to stop the apostles from preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. But in doing so, they make themselves the enemies of the work of God. They make themselves the enemies of the work of God. And this is ironical, isn't it? The religious leaders who claim to represent God have themselves become the enemies of the work of God. And sadly, it is the same today. The same thing is happening today. Some of the strongest opponents of the gospel of Jesus Christ are the liberal clergies and the liberal theologians. And these liberal clergies and theologians, they claim to speak for Christianity. But they deny the incarnation. They deny the virgin birth. They deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And they do not believe that Jesus is God. In the same way, these um, uh, liberal clergies and theologians, they claim to know the scripture, yet they refuse to see that Jesus fulfilled all God's promises in the Old Testament. In particular, God's promise to forgive our sins through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. And so liberal theologians and try to silence the conservative theologians in Bible colleges. And liberal clergy will try to silence the conservative clergy in their denominations. And in doing so, they are behaving like the high priest and the Sanhedrin. The liberal clergy and theologians are actually opposing the very work of God. And they show themselves to be false teachers. So we, however, must not listen to the false teachers. We must be like the apostles, who will not be silenced when the Sanhedrin issued the ban on the name of Jesus. Look at verse 29. Uh, Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. Now, this is the second lesson we learn about persecution. When human beings command us to do something God prohibits, we must obey God rather than human beings. If human beings prohibit what God commands us to do, we must obey God rather than human beings. So we must continue to preach about the resurrected Jesus as 
the Lord and Messiah, even if liberal Christians try to shut us down. We must continue to teach about the gospel view on marriage and sex, even if the authority threatens us with jail term. We must obey God rather than human beings. This is the message we will give to the Victorian government should it ban us from living out our faith. Now in verses 30 to 32, uh, Peter and the apostles explain why they will obey God rather than the Sanhedrin. So they say, The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So what Peter is saying in these uh, verses is this. The religious leaders are on the wrong side of salvation history. They are on the wrong side of truth, and therefore on the wrong side of God. Jesus is the only way to God, because only in the death and resurrection of Jesus are our sins forgiven. So the apostles will continue preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus, because Jesus is the only name by which people are saved. And when the Sanhedrin heard this, they are furious, so furious that they want to put the apostles to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, he intervenes. And we will learn later that Gamaliel is the teacher of Paul <clears throat> before he was converted. Yeah. So Gamaliel excuses the apostles and begins to address the Sanhedrin in private session, saying, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. So Gamaliel cautions the Sanhedrin to exercise caution, or to exercise restraint, since there have been precedents of new movements that fizzle out after the death of their leaders. And Gamaliel recalls two examples. The first was Theudas, and the second uh, was Judas the Galilean. Now, both men came on the scene at different times, promising to liberate the Jews. They each won an initial following. But then when each was killed, all their followers were scattered, and their movement came to nothing. And so Gamaliel offers his advice to the Sanhedrin. And he says, if this Jesus movement is not of God, it will fail. However, if this Jesus movement is of God, then nothing is going to stop it. Your opposition will not stop them. Instead, uh, you will be fighting against God, and that would be a very foolish thing to do. So Gamaliel told, uh, tells this to the Sanhedrin. 
So let's pause for a moment again. What do you think of Gamaliel's wisdom? Do you think it is wise for Gamaliel to say that? I think so, yeah? I think the first part of Gamaliel's advice, that if something is not of God, it will fail, I think this part is only uh, partly true. You see, because there have been all kinds of heresies in church history that are not of God, and yet they have persisted for a long, long time. And today we know that the prosperity gospel is not of God, and yet it is flourishing. And so when a new movement appears to flourish, we cannot say it is of God. For a movement can be successful without God. But we know that ultimately, all that is not of God will fail. So we just need to make sure that if anything is successful, we cannot say it is of God. Yeah? Because this part, is, uh, this part of Gamaliel's uh, advice is only partly true. However, the second part of Gamaliel's advice is true, very true. If a movement is of God, then nothing is going to stop it. And we find this very true of the church. The church will not fail in this world, even though there have been many, many attempts to squash it. Now, individual church may close its doors. Denominations may disappear but the true invisible church of Jesus Christ, it will last forever. Nothing can come against it, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So this gives us confidence today that no matter how small the visible church is or how weak it seems, if the gospel is faithfully preached and if the people live out the gospel faithfully, the true Christian community will thrive. It will never fail. <clears throat> so the Sanhedrin was uh, persuaded by Gamaliel's advice, so they let the apostles go after first flogging them and then giving them another warning not to speak in the name of Jesus. And how do you think the apostles respond this time? So look at the last two verses. 41 and 42. <clears throat> it says, The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. And so we learn the third thing about persecution. When we suffer for the name of Jesus, we must rejoice like the apostles did. And the apostles rejoiced because they have found worthy, they have been found worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus. The apostles remembered the words of Jesus to them uh, in his Sermon on the Mount, uh, that's found in Matthew chapter 5. It's, Jesus said to them, Blessed are you 
when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. So to rejoice and be glad is a mindset. It is not just an emotion. It is a mindset. It is an attitude. It is an attitude that tells us that we have made the right choice. It tells us that we are not wrong to put our trust in Jesus. In fact, it is the right choice to put our trust in Jesus because Jesus is the only name by which we must be saved. You see, our life on earth is only a fraction of all eternity. And whatever we suffer here in this life will be more than compensated by the eternal joy that is ours in the world to come. And we are like the wise investor who is prepared to suffer a temporary loss for a long-term gain. So we may suffer now for a little while, but it is nothing compared to the glory that awaits us. So, brothers and sisters, should persecution come to us today, do not complain, do not whinge, do not give up your faith. Instead, rejoice and continue to be faithful to Jesus and persevere to preach the gospel and persevere to live out the gospel. Let us pray. Our gracious, gracious Heavenly Father, you have given us the example of the apostles in obeying God rather than human beings. And you have given us the example of the apostles in rejoicing in their suffering for Jesus. But we cannot follow their example in our own strength. We need your power. So please fill us with your spirit so that when persecution comes our way, we will live out our faith courageously in the midst of hardship. Help us to be joyful always for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.